So I have had a weekend, (laughs) y'all. You you really have, though. (laughs) Let me tell you. So, um, uh, okay, do we want to go with pizza or wine first? I mean, let's go with pizza. Honestly, together, they sound like a great combo, but I know they're not in your case. They're not. So um, last night, I had been, you know, imbibing. And I'm on the phone with Brittany, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to order a pizza from Domino's. And Brittany goes on this long spiel making fun of me about how they probably know exactly who I am. Like, they see my name and like, oh, that's Tyler. Let's get it. And I'm like, haha, no, they don't. They don't know me. <laughs> I mean, and also, to be fair, I ordered pizza last night, too. So I'm not, like, sitting here being an a-hole completely. <laughs> just, just like, 85%. <laughs> so... I ordered the pizza, you know, a couple minutes later, the delivery guy calls me, he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, cool, he's very nice. He's like, oh, I'll be at the um, the garage entrance in about two minutes. In my head, I'm like, oh, cool, he's delivered here before, he knows it. So I go down, you see where this is going. Um, I go downstairs uh, to meet him, you know, wait there. Pulls up and he's like, oh, so sorry for waiting, Tyler. And I was like, oh, no worries. (laughs) And then as we're like doing the pizza handoff, he's like, oh, how's it going? It's good to see you again. And that's when it clicks. And I'm like, oh, oh, he does know me. And I don't know him. (laughs) Because usually when I order pizza, I am not in a sober mind. And as he was leaving, he's like, all right, it was great seeing you. I'll see you again real soon. And I'm like, yes, I know I ordered lots of pizza. Leave me alone. (laughs) So then I had to call Brittany as soon as I got up because I was cracking up the entire elevator ride back up. (laughs) And um, yeah, so Brittany was right. Uh, The pizza people uh, do know me by name and order. You know, I will say it's quite interesting when someone calls you and you say hello and the first thing they say is, I hate you. Okay. While laughing. (laughs) You know, honestly, it made me want to cry. No, I'm just kidding. I started cracking up because... What if I told you, what if I was like, actually, I called them and I set the whole thing up. I definitely didn't. You order a lot of pizza. I would be very confused at the (laughs) amount of effort you put in for that. (laughs) No, no, no. It's uh, so much more satisfying knowing that it really happened. Did I have a premonition? I think you did, because it was about 10 minutes after we got off the phone. That happened. Um, So there was that. And then just today... I went to the store to get wine for uh, this podcast for what we're doing right now. And I'm wearing a shirt that it's like my company logo, but it's made out of cats because it's the cat people group, whatever. It's a lot. So it's a bunch of cats. There's a cat asshole staring at Brittany right now <laughs> on my shirt. The whole and time. I'm ordering wine. Ordering wine. I get up to the counter with my wine and the guy's like, ah, that's funny. Your shirt has cats on it, but it also has cat hair on it. And I'm just like, bitch, yeah, I know. So I'm just like, ah, yep. What a douche. Like, seriously, <laughs> I still can't get over it that someone actually said that. It's like, sir, you're the little corner grocery store by an apartment complex. I obviously just walked out of my house. This It's not considered public, okay? I know. I'm like, you've seen me in far worse states. Like, you, you're gonna come in next and be like, oh, it looks like you washed your hair this time. Like, what? <laughs> oh my god, if he does, like, like seriously? <laughs> I don't know. Vengeance. Honestly, at that point, I'd buy, I'd like give him a tip or something. 
for remembering you that much? No, for being that blunt. I'm like, you know what? That's a little refreshing, actually. It's thank- not. I'd go home and cry, <laughs> but it's fine. for being a giant asshole. You've really opened my eyes today. <laughs> yep, yep. That's, that's exactly where I'm getting at. Well, hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And I'm just not going to leave my house again. I'm done. I'm outie. But I can't order food because they know me there, too. <laughs> you can get wine through, like, Amazon, like, Prime Now. So you're good. Oh, and then the Prime delivery driver will be like, hey, Tyler, how's it going? Fifth delivery this week. And I'm like, go away. But it's the sixth. You know, it's honestly, like, our convenience. It's it's the same as if you went to the actual grocery store six times in one week. First of all, that's a lot of times. That's too much grocery. But people would start to recognize you. People are just now recognize us through our laziness. <laughs> no, and I get it. And when we lived at uh, the apartment complex where we were in the same place before you moved to Austin, well, I mean, Dallas, wow, the uh, little grocery store bodega right next to us, they knew everything. Yeah, they I'm, they did. <laughs> I mean, I feel like your your local bodega They've seen you at your worst. They've seen you at your worst more than, like, your significant other. In a way, they are. Oh, God. Okay. Well, um, with that, be sure to check out Patreon. We have some... <laughs> that great transition. I'm just I like, loved it. You know, we're going from, like, bodega community to Patreon community. There's a, yeah. there's a way. Um Okay. But also, we've got our murder minis over there if you are a Patreon subscriber, and we are actually going to be recording one of those right after this episode. My cat is licking my arm right now next to me. Tyler keeps looking at her. She, <laughs> yeah, She's like, I want to be a bodega cat. Oh my god, she would love that, but she doesn't talk like that. But anyway, be sure to go check out Patreon. Lots of murder minis, lots of other exciting things going on over there. So if you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to go do that. Definitely. Also, while you're doing that, make sure to head over and subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to us, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where you find podcasts, find us there, subscribe, and that way you'll be able to get all of our episodes as soon as they upload. Yes, and that's every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. We picked a really random day. There's nothing significant for either of us about Tuesdays. I mean, Mondays are always just really hard. Tuesdays are kind of like the real beginning of the week. And so those are the days where we're like, new episode, here you go. Y'all need this after Monday. All right. Well, because I lost last week, which, to be quite honest, Brittany had to remind me because I was flying high all week, feeling (laughs) like a winner. And Brittany was like, what topic are we doing? I was like, oh, I I didn't win, did I? (laughs) And so I was like, what's going to be a topic that's going to be interesting, exciting? It's going to be something with drama, something with a twist. And I was like, oh, that. Let's, Let's just do that as the topic. So... Topic is murders with a twist. Which also sounds like a cocktail, which I, I wish I had, but I don't. I, have, I know. I have we, sh- we should have done a, a themed cocktail for this episode. Was that you with the lemon twist? Yeah, that was, I was, I was uh, pantomiming twisting. <laughs> Not the twist, like Chevy Chase or whatever. <laughs> oh my god, it's Ferris Bueller, but whatever. I, I, okay, well, whatever. Okay. Yes, but uh, yeah, no, that's the topic, uh, murders with a twist, because 
I feel like that's one of the most exciting things when you're watching a documentary or you're listening to a podcast doing research for a case is when it has that <gasps> twist in it of like, oh shit, everything is not as it seemed. So I was like, let's just, let's uh, hit the nail on the hammer of that. Nope, that's not how the phrase goes. It's a phrase I don't know how to say. Hit the hammer on the nail? No, the opposite. Hit the nail with the hammer. Hit the nail on the head. But you, oh, yeah. You don't even say the hammer. You just hit the nail on the head. You got me to mess uh, it I, up, so thanks. Sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's our that's our train wreck topic today. <laughs> um, You know what? It's a really interesting topic because you're absolutely right. Like, those moments where it's like, gasp, oh my god, no way, didn't see this coming, are what make cases so, um, I was about to say listenable, but that's not a word. But, like, um, craveable. That's a weird word. Engaging? Yeah, there we go. Let's use real words. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, I think it's one of the big reasons why you and I aren't a big fan of, like, mafia cases, for example. Because they're kind of that very straightforward, you know the story. And obviously, that is not all-inclusive of all mafia stories. But, I mean, I know for me personally, that's one of the reasons why... I don't cover them because I'm like, okay, but what's the thing? What's the Agatha Christie moment, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, before we get into these murders with a twist without cocktails, let's at least do it with some wine. Uh, I agree. So Let's, let's have wine time. Wine time. What wine did you get? So the wine that I'm drinking today is the 2017 The Velvet Devil Merlot from Washington State. I feel like a lot of people will definitely recognize this bottle. I've never had it, but it's one that I feel like I see every time I go to the grocery store. Oh yeah, it's a white label with like, I don't know, impact font text on it that says The Velvet Devil Merlot 2017 Washington State. And then it has this uh, little pitchfork graphic. Very simple very recognizable. It's one I've seen over and over and was like, hmm, you know, I'm going to try a, I'm not a big Merlot person usually, but that one sounds good and I'm going to jump into it. Do it. So I read on the website kind of the, how this wine was born and it's a reference that I do not understand. Brittany, maybe you will understand. Listeners, maybe you will, but I've never seen this movie as much as I love Sandra Oh. But how they describe the birth of this wine. When Hollywood's surprise hit Sideways suddenly spawned anti-Merlot sentiments everywhere, Charles set out to rebuff the movie's unflattering depiction of this great varietal. Varietal? Wow. One sip of this bold, sultry creation, and you'll know he succeeded at making Merlot sexy again. So I I guess uh, Sandra O oh hates Merlot. I don't know. I don't know how Sideways goes. I actually haven't seen that movie either, but um, it feels like they're saying Merlot brought Sexy back and not JT. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with neither of those did. But, you know, okay. That's because Sexy never left, okay? Sexy didn't (laughs) go anywhere. (laughs) Anyways, so this wine, it is 89% Merlot, 10% Cabernet Sauvignon, and then 1% Malbec. And then the... Merlot, it's very smooth, like most Merlots are, and it offers a very pure velvet, deep, and delicious black fruit, cedar, tobacco, and cassis flavors. Sounds good. 
And then it, they, I, I have to say this line because they wrote it and because it's just that bad. It's so good that it appears the devil made me do it. And I'm like, okay, all right, The Crucible. We all read that in high school. You're not special. But in reading all those, I was like, okay, cool. Let's see what real people think. 1% Malbec is really interesting, and I wonder what such a small amount does. Like, obviously it does something because they put it in there, but 1% just yeah. seems like such a tiny amount. And it's not like Malbec is a super, like, concentrated flavor that 1% could, like, really balance out the X and the Y. Right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But uh, as I do, I like to read reviews from regular folk to see what we think about uh, the wine. I'm calling myself regular. It's fine. We're pretty normal folk. Yeah, yeah. We're the, you know, I'm statistically average. So this one person wrote, smooth, easy drinking Merlot, blackberry, blackcurrant, rose petal, which they misspelled, cedar, and some earthiness on the nose. Dark fruit continues to the palate with rich tobacco and cassis. Light to medium tannins don't really enhance or devalue, which is, they put, rather strange. It's not going to blow up your wine budget, and it's a fun wine to break out on the patio midweek. So I'm like, okay, cool, all right. I love that. And then same. I'm like, okay, it's like a just a great drinking wine. I love red wines that are referred to as a patio wine. Because normally you do mm-hmm. not think of a red wine as something that you're going to casually drink while you're sitting outside in the sun. Um, and we're not saying this is like 100 degree patio weather, because that's not patio weather either. Patio weather is like in the 60s, 70s, low 80s, when it's just like that perfect time to be outside. And normally you think white wine or rosé, but I like it when they're like, no, this red wine is totally patio wine. Yeah, it's it's wine for you to sit at the um, the like kind of frosted glass and metal table that literally everyone's parents have and, you know, chat with your friends about life. Yes. The other review I found, um, this person said it was dark ink color, long, long legs, full body, Notes of sweet berries. If this wine was a woman, it would be Beyonce. And then they rated it three stars, so I'm judging them. Wow. Uh, The way they wrote that, though, I was about to make a comment about it being a woman, so that was clearly what they were going for. Yeah. Berry and charred wood on the tongue, and it packs a punch, so. Just like a woman. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if she doesn't taste like berry and charred wood on the tongue, get out. Okay, that's... <laughs> it, regardless, um, I'm going to open this up. Also, this wine, um, from everything I read, is normally about $10. So uh, I spent way too much at 15 <laughs> <laughs> This is what I found. Um, and it's a screw cap. Nice. You know, there are just very interesting similarities always every single week. I also bought a 2017, and it's also a screw, screw top as well. Oh, this wine. Okay. When I first smelled it, like, in the bottle, just uncapped it, it almost smelled like a mold wine. Like, I was getting, like, cinnamon and clove, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, no, in the glass, though, none of that. Well, you filled it up too much for the aromas to actually uh, dance around in that glass, but... Listen, I'm gonna drink my wine like I drink my wine. And that is all I could ever ask of you? drink wine like you drink wine you do you yeah it smells like a merlot i'm gonna let it uh breathe while you tell me what wine you're drinking today 
So mine was one where the bottle, like, absolutely called to me. It's just really pretty. Oh. Um, you know how I love my pretty wines. This is the 2017 Red du Rhone Ventu. And Ventu, it's V-E-N-T-O-U-X. And it's a wine-growing AOC in the southeastern region of the Rhone wine region of France. Lots of regions of France there in that sentence. Um, This is where wines are produced along the lower slopes of the Ventoux Mountain. Red and rosé wines from this AOC are made from Grenache, Syrah, Cinsault, Mourverde, and Carignan. Uh, with a maximum of like 30% of that last one. And then other varietals, which may be used uh, to a maximum of 20%. So it sounds like they've got some very specific uh, wine math rules going on with what varietals you can use um yeah in this area but this wine in particular has very expressive fruit it's balanced and very fresh with a great price it was only nine dollars at total wine there are aromas of ripe black and red fruit that dominate and then there's some notes of licorice and soft spices it's medium bodied with a spicy finish dry bold and very smooth and if you're wondering what to eat it with um i mean what to eat while you drink this it pairs well with veal pork and cheeses so it's a very french Mm. wine for sure Uh, yeah that sounds very french and it's got like a bottle like a pinot noir or like a chardonnay you know how the bottle is a little bit fatter and rounder yeah yeah so it's also a screw top though smells like wine Mmm. So it's definitely medium bodied as far as color is concerned. And so it's like this ruby garnet kind of color going on. And um, it smells, it smells fruity. I can definitely smell the fruit with a hint of spice. So I'm really interested to see what this tastes like. Because from from what it told me, I'm smelling what I should be smelling. But I when it says spices, I'm like, all right, but like what kind of spice? What kind of spice am I supposed to taste here? So we're going to see what mm-hmm. I think I taste. Okay, well, don't taste it yet. Not yet. I mean, we got a cheers. We do. It's the law. Cheers. Cheers. Mine absolutely is dominated by the fruit. I'm getting tiny hints of licorice, but I'm really not not getting any of these spices. Like, even baking spices, they're not really there for me. This is a very decent, it's a red blend. I mean, to be totally honest, it tastes like a red blend. Red blends, at least the ones I try, are generally a little bit heavier on the fruit side. They're good with anything. They're a very good universal wine. So this is a fantastic one if you know someone who likes red wine, but you don't really know what one. I think this would be a safe choice. Knowing, well, people can be picky with wine. So take that advice as you see fit. But this is a good average drinking wine. It's definitely not one of my favorite French wines that I've ever had, but I have never had anything from this Ventoux region. And so I wanted to give it a try. If you like Pinot Noirs and Merlots and wines that are more fruit forward, you're going to absolutely love this wine. And again, like I said, the soft spices, I'm not really getting that. There's no tobacco, pepper, there's none of no dirt, which is why it's not one of my favorites, but it's also because it doesn't have any of like that Cab Franc in it. That's not mm. what's in this region. It's a lot of those lighter varietals like the Grenache and the Syrah and the Cinso. 
I recommend this for those who like your medium, like light to medium bodied reds. Definitely give this one a try. Okay. Mine is a very, um, very interesting Merlot. How so? Honestly, the first flavors of it hitting the tongue, I'm not a fan of. It's just, to me, I wouldn't say harsh, uh, because Merlots aren't harsh, and it's not. It's, uh, I don't know. It, it has, like, I don't know, a harsh quality to it, but is very, like, smooth and rounded. It's very interesting when it first hits your tongue. But then once it sits there and you swallow it, the aftertaste, what I'm getting after the, like, post-swallow, what does my mouth taste like afterwards, Yeah, is like cinnamon candy. Like, I ate a hot tamale a minute ago, or something like that. And it's not bad. It works. It's definitely a, um, it'd be a great porch wine. It's not my favorite, but mostly because it's very velvety, very smooth. And while that's a hallmark of Merlot's, it's also one of the reasons why I'm not a huge, huge fan of Merlot's. It's just not a um, texture and flavor combo that I'm a huge fan of. But it's not something that turns me off. So this one, uh, not bad. I would give it a solid B minus. B minus. Yeah, I think yeah. I totally give it. This one I'd probably give a B plus. Okay. Actually, no, I would give it a B. We're just going to go straight middle of the road B. It's above average. It's okay. You know what? It, but if you can graduate with 3.0, kudos. Kudos. Dose faux show. So okay, we've talked about our topic. We have our wines. Our glasses are filled. Tyler, tell me about your case. Okay, so before I get into my case, I have to talk to you about something that is totally unrelated to both my case and everything we're talking about right now. Okay, so um, just like the ultimate tangent. The ultimate tangent, and um, I got to this tangent because one of my wine descriptors was talking about it being like black and inky, and I was like, oh my god, I have to talk to Brittany about the black-eyed kids. What? Oh, yeah, I've heard about that case. Um, So it's... I. As many listeners, and Brittany, as y'all know, the paranormal, the supernatural stuff, I'm like, mm, okay. Not a big fan. Don't believe in most of it. Doesn't pass my scientific method of thing of things. But I was driving with my friend, and she was like, oh, I have to show you this part about the Black Eyed Kids. And so we listened to a chunk of the um, And This Is Why We Drink podcast. She's a huge fan of them. They're amazing. And they were going over just, like, the Black Eyed Kids and what they are. And it's just these, like, children that are, like, nine or however old children are with just these solid black eyes. And they'll, like, appear at your door or at your car window. And they, they'll they just be fucking weird. And they have to be invited in. And they give you this, like, feeling of terror Anyways, the um, they had like a viewer write-in story thing that someone sent them an email about their experience with the Black Eyed Kids. A viewer, really? And, okay, a listener, <laughs> not a viewer. <laughs> Regardless, um, this guy is telling the story about how he um, uh, was introduced to this girl when they were in high school. They started dating um, in college or right. right after college. They like moved in together 
And, you know, he was like computer science major at University of Texas, did all these things, was at this point like 24. And then he's in the bathroom, he hears a knock at the door, his girlfriend goes to answer, and he's in the bathroom, he's like, just filled with sudden terror. And he's like, scared shitless. He just hear his girlfriend, I think at this point, fiance, I don't know, talking to someone at the door and he like looks out of the out and like rushes out of the bathroom and it's these two black eyed kids and she let them in because they were like oh can we use the phone or something and so she let them in and apparently once you invite them inside that's when shit goes crazy so they both like pass out and then they wake up the next day like in bed or something and they're just super depressed and that goes on for like months they wind up going to the doctor And they both are diagnosed with cancer. And then he wakes up in high school. What? Like, none of that had happened yet. And he, like, reached out to the friend that, you know, had introduced him and his girlfriend, but he hadn't yet. And he was like, how do you know her? Like, that's weird. I haven't introduced y'all yet. He talks to this girl, and it's crazy. Um, He is like, I know I sound crazy, but I also know that... Um, like today, I still remember all of the um, like computer science and coding shit that I learned when I was in college. And so that's how I know this wasn't just a dream. And he even like coded something in his high school class that his teacher didn't even understand how it worked. It was like a you know, because he, he had the computer science degree and it was this crazy algorithm or something. I don't understand coding. But long story short, he like, does reconnect uh, with this girl and their friends. And this time around, she just seems like she's depressed and stuff. And then he finally gets her to tell her, tell him, like, you know, what's wrong? And she's just like, oh, I just have this feeling that I'm gonna die. He's like, what from? And she's like, cancer. I don't know. It was a crazy story. I just reset it probably very poorly, but... I still don't believe in supernatural stuff, because I'm like, what if it was just some weird-ass kids with contacts? Or, like, I don't know, they had dark brown eyes, and you're just being an asshole. Being like, ah, black-eyed kids, and they're like, that's not fair, I have brown eyes. What's really creepy about it is the, the time thing. How he wakes up back in high school and knows... All of this college course material and like nose advanced coding. That, yeah, that's me, the shit that freaked me out. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And also, every time you say black eyed kids, I definitely picture the black eyed peas because. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, when she, before she introduced uh, the topic, she was like, we we're in the card. She says, okay. So have you heard of the black-eyed kids? And I was convinced she was about to say the black-eyed peds. I'd be like, yes, me and everyone else who was alive in 2009. Have you ever heard of the black-eyed peas? I'm like, I got a feeling about what? No. (laughs) Yes. So um, that completely unrelated story, but I just had to tell you all. Okay, so that's not connected to your case at all. You just had to, like, you wanted to shoehorn that one in. This was the time. I just really needed to shoehorn that one in. Okay. So. I still also can't stop looking at the freaking cat butt on your shirt. I hate it. Well, sorry. (laughs) It's just staring at me in the eyes. It's what cat butts do. (laughs) It's artistically representative. Regardless, I'm going to jump into my case. My case is the death of Joe Glenowitz. And the sources that I used, an article from Wikipedia about him, an article from Cracked by Polly Poisuo, 
an article from NBC Chicago, an article from CNN by Michael Martinez, an article from NBC by John Shoup, and an article from the Chicago Tribune by Tony Briscoe. So, on September 1st, 2015, in the small town of Fox Lake, Illinois, this town is about to be thrust into, like, the national spotlight. So at 8 a.m., over the police radio, the words, send everybody you possibly can, officer is down, were heard. So, police lieutenant... Charles Joseph, G.I. Joe, Glenowitz, who was known as G.I. Joe by friends and the community, mm-hmm. he's one month away from retirement. He's on a pretty routine patrol um, near the town of Fox Lake, and he's heard radioing for backup. He says that he's in pursuit of three suspicious unidentified men, and then when backup arrived, they heard a gunshot in the woods, and then they found him dead on the ground. He'd been shot twice, once in his bulletproof vest, and then once in the head. So just within a few minutes after finding his body, hundreds of law enforcement officers just were deployed and descended on the town. The area was declared like a no-fly zone, and basically everything went on lockdown. Whoa. And this is a pretty small town. It's about 10,000 people, and it's on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. And it's just a pretty sleepy, like, fishing, boating little lake town. So a couple days later, on Labor Day, thousands of people lined the street. Officers flew in from throughout the country to honor Glenowitz. He had been with the department for 30 years. Um, He was a military veteran, and everyone knew him as G.I. Joe. And... The arrangements for his funeral, there was an 18-mile-long procession. There was a helicopter flyover, a rifle volley. People tied ribbons to their trees. There were signs throughout the city that were, like, posted in his honor. Candlelight vigils. I mean, everything. This community was devastated. So, Glenowitz, he was a U.S. Army veteran, and he joined the police department in Fox Lake all the way back in 1985. And at the time of his death, he was a lieutenant and, again, was one month away from retiring. He was also head of the Fox Lake Police Explorer Program, which what that is, is they mentor young people who want to go into law enforcement. So think like Boy Scouts, but for police. God. Kind of the, I don't know, ROTC, but for police. So he works with a bunch of like kids and youths in the area. And they know him as just, oh, that's Officer G.I. Joe. He's done so much. Like, his career has spanned so many different people's lives. Like, he knows so many people. He was involved in a lot of things, started this. I can see why so many people came to his service. Me too. But after his death, things kind of started to unravel. Yeah, I mean, we still don't even know who did this. Like, who? I'm wondering, like... Who shot him and did they ever get caught because what the hell is going on? Well, it, this one is not your a typical straightforward murder because, again, everything was not what it seems, especially when his personnel file came to light. Would you say there was a twist? I would say there was definitely a twist. So, Glenowitz, he was known to have some problems with alcohol. He'd previously been found passed out drunk in his car, like 
while it was idling with his foot on the pedal. Oh. And he'd been warned multiple times uh, by his, like, bosses and stuff for either showing up to work drunk or not showing up to work at all. So he was was kind of given some warnings. People were like, dude, Joe, the fuck? But, again, it's like, okay. Like, lots of people have issues with alcohol. Like, what does that mean? There's there's so much more in his personnel file. It was a... 270 or 266 page personnel file which let me tell you as i've never worked for like a government or city so i know they document a lot of things but as someone who has worked in hr oh my god you need a whole filing cabinet for this one person for their one file and that's even a lot even though he's worked in the force for 30 years i would think so 270 pages? It's the book. I don't even know if my personnel file has anything other than, like, my W-2. I guess that's a fair point. This is like the story of his life in file format. Oh, God. And just all of the HR professionals perked up when hearing that. We like files. Anyways, there's so much more. In 2003, so 12 years before his death, there was a federal lawsuit against the town and the police, and... It accused Glenowitz of pressuring a female department employee who was under his command to perform oral sex on him five separate times in the year 2000. No. This woman, she worked under his supervision on the Explorer program, you know, the one with the kids. Oh my Um, god, even worse. Yeah, so the two of them helped run, like, training camps for teens So she later resigned from the Explorer program, and she reported the sexual misconduct. And the suit alleged that the police chief at the time told her that, yeah, Glinowitz admitted to the conduct, and the police chief recommended sexual addiction counseling for him and a 30-day suspension. Which, look, sex addiction is absolutely... A thing. It is something many people struggle with. When you're uh, sexually harassing your colleague, and that's different. That's a different level. You can have many addictions, and the second they start impeding and harassing others, that's when it's like, mm, your addiction's not an excuse anymore. So the fact that the police chief's like, oh, yeah, we're gonna get him some counseling. It's like, okay. Um, or... What if he got fired and, you know, got his counseling, got better? That's awesome. But her uh, livelihood and comfortability of being at work, of working with people, should not be affected because he needs help. Right. And this also sounds like a case of not believing women, which drives me fucking crazy because believe women. Yeah. And give someone actual due punishment, not a slap on the wrist. Like, okay, so he gets a 30-day suspension and has to go to counseling. Okay. Because this wasn't one time. This was five separate times. This is a repeat offense. And he works with kids. Granted, there is nothing um, written, and I am not uh, in any way saying that he ever did anything, like, towards the kids. But just having this, like, him sexually harassing his colleague... And he's basically like police boy scout leader. I'm like, no, maybe just fire him. I'm sorry, people get fired for a shit ton less. Well, and also the fact that he's a police officer. 
He's someone that you're supposed to be able to call when you're experiencing something like sexual harassment. Not someone who's doing yeah. it. No one should do it. Yeah. Exactly. The sexual harassment lawsuit, though, was dismissed by the court in 2005 after the victim and her attorney, they missed deadlines to file discovery responses, and she then lost an appeal the next year in 2006. Flash forward a couple years to 2009, when anonymous members of the Fox Lake Police Department, as they were calling themselves, submitted a two-page letter to the then-mayor that accused Officer Glenowitz of widespread misconduct, from sexually harassing and threatening a dispatcher, visiting uh, different establishments in the village with certain women, not his wife, being thrown out of bars for getting too drunk, taking his family on vacations in Wisconsin with his squad car, allowing the Explorer Post members, so the, like, police Boy Scout kids, to wear police garments. He was accused of groping a woman's breasts at a department Christmas party. Jesus. And then getting a tattoo while on duty using a free certificate that was donated to the police department. This guy sounds like a nightmare. Like He sounds like a fucking nightmare. And it's also so interesting that clearly a lot of this stuff was known. I mean, this wasn't all hidden away private information. He was doing a lot of this in public. And yet still... Everyone shows up and, like, he has all these supporters after he dies. It's just a very... Well, and to be fair, most of this stuff was not known by the actual community. To the community, he was this 30-year veteran officer who was killed on duty. But, I mean, all of this stuff was just in his personnel file. Right. That letter that they wrote to the then mayor was filed into his personnel file. And then that was it. So things really started to unravel for Glenowitz when he got a new boss in March of 2014. So the town hired Anne Marin, and she didn't, I mean, she was like there to oversee basically the city government Mm -hmm. and city expenditure, all of these things. And in Glenowitz's mind, she is now the enemy. And she also has no fucking idea he sees her as the enemy. She's like, do-do-do, doing my job. Right. Oh, hey, Joe. And he's in his mind seething and being like, fuck you, Anne. She has no idea. Jesus. Because one of the things she gets in her job, she's like, okay, we're going to oversee everything. And she wanted to get an accounting and an inventory of all of the different departments, and including the Explorer Post program. So little police kids, Boy Scouts, she was like, oh yeah, let's just see the numbers on it, make sure everything's in check, all the money is where it's supposed to be. And the money was not where it was supposed to be. I mean, I saw that one coming. I, yeah. Glenowitz had spent tens of thousands of dollars of the Explorer Post funds on himself. He spent it on his mortgage, different health clubs, access to porn, Jesus. travel, Starbucks, A bunch of shit. He was just basically using it like it was his own bank account. Yeah, he was using it for anything and everything, apparently. And he texted, like, he knew he was, he was fucked because he was texting his wife and his son, who at this point was like an adult, that he was basically panicking that Marin was looking into these things. But did, like, his family know that he was stealing that money? I mean... Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, they all knew. They were all in on it. Okay, because they were obviously reaping the benefits of that as well. Oh, 100%. So um, about a month after his death, that's when these texts were discovered, because he had erased all of them on his phone before his death. And so the FBI, when they were looking into this, they found all the text messages, 6,500 pages of text messages. That's like six Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix worth of texts. It's a lot. I don't even think I've ever sent that many texts. His thumbs must have been just bulked. But it is text he considered retiring from the force as a way to get out of this and not be investigated. In text that he sent to his son, DJ, he was complaining about his new boss. He wrote, she hates me. If she gets a hold of the old checking account, I'm pretty well fucked. His son responded with, hopefully she decides to get a couple of drinks in her and she gets a DUI. Dad responds, she does, but not around here and no one knows where. Trust me. I've thought through many scenarios, from planting things to the Volobog, which Volobog, it's a national park area that's near Fox Lake, and it's known in the community as being, like, the dumping ground for bodies, is, like, the horror stories about it. Oh, shit. So, he's saying he's, like... Thought about killing her. Oh, I've thought about planting stuff on her, I've thought about killing her, hiding her body. Oh, yeah. And... The day he died, Anne Marin was in the midst of doing this audit, and she had asked Glinowitz to give her the financial records for the Explorer program and an inventory of all its equipment. And he'd been giving her the runaround and like, oh, yeah, I'll get that to you. Like, oh, yeah. And she told him that by 2 p.m. that day, she wanted that. Like, that's the deadline. Yeah, like, dude, I'm tired of your dicking around. I know you are... Like, keeping something from me, otherwise you'd turn this shit over, so put it at my desk. She's, Mm -hmm. like, putting her foot down. And so the deadline was 2 p.m. the day of his death. And he had even taken things one step further to try to cover everything up. And he was going to have her killed. Oh, God. He reached out to a high-ranking gang member to put a hit out on her and to plant evidence on her. And the gang member was like, dude, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of this. That's fucked up. He is one of those really nasty, bad cops. Yeah. Like, he is why some people have trouble trusting the police. Yeah. And this is shit that is all coming out, all coming to light in the couple months after his death. Yeah. So after, I mean... The entire nation looked at this and seen a Selene police officer and been like, oh my god, he was a hero in the community. Then all this shit starts coming out. And again, thankfully, the gang member was like, dude, no, I'm not gonna do that. So the hit hit, um, on her was never, like, really put out, put out. The FBI is investigating all of this, and they're very quickly realizing that There is some shady shit going on. You know, they have his personnel file with all this misconduct, his Facebook page and the text messages that are showing how terrified he is of this audit. And then they also discovered that his cell phone records showed that he was just kind of milling around and chilling at the scene of the um, supposed chase where he was shot and killed at 
for about 30 minutes before. What? And it's at like an abandoned concrete factory or something. So it's not, there's no reason for him to just be there. It's not the local hangout. No. So he's, they see him there for about a half hour before he calls for backup. And then the final piece they find is that forensic evidence show that the two shots were actually very close range. Oh. When he got shot, about an arm's length distance. Someone was really close to him. It was him. What? He shot himself both times. Wait, why would he shoot his oh vest, obviously, to make it look like it was someone else? Yeah. But he's a police officer. Doesn't he know that forensics can look at angles and shit? Like, doesn't everyone know that? He does. And that's, I mean, exactly. He knows what forensics look at to see, like, oh, this was a shot. Um, he was very well versed in crime scene cleanup and crime scene investigations and stuff. So he knew how to stage it to where even the police looking at it are going to say, oh, shit, he was shot by two guys. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there had been rumors and speculation that Glenowitz had committed suicide, even at his funeral. But it would be weeks before the authorities acknowledged that, yeah, he'd shot himself with his own gun. And he carefully staged his suicide to make it look like a homicide to cover up all the criminal shit that he'd been doing behind the scenes that was about to come out. Well, so he wasn't succeeding in hiding it, though, because it all came out. Yeah, but it all came out after his death. So he was hiding it from coming out while he was still alive. Exactly. Basically, he knew his time was up as far as like, okay, something's about to come out. Oh, because of the the kids and the money that he was just like, well, I don't want to be here to see it happen. Well, that or part of me is thinking that he thought with it being a small town there was a good chance that if they're investigating the police officer who got killed by these criminals, that they're not going to focus on the audit or put energy and time into that. That maybe his death would just supersede all these other things and they wouldn't continue. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that because I feel like Anne was about business and she was going to get her answers one way or another. Oh, you damn right. But it's just so fucked up. There were interviews I've read about uh, people that had been targeted by the police as suspects in murdering him. And there was one man who, because I think the description he gave was like two white guys and a black guy. So, you know, super descriptive. Mm -hmm. And there was an interview they had with one guy who was homeless and was spending the night Um, I think, like, at a friend's place or somewhere. And the police kicked down his door the next day, like, guns in his face, bring him in. And the only reason he had an alibi that would stick with it is he had, like, a receipt in his pocket from a bakery or something on the day and time of the murder that showed he wasn't there. So he got really lucky with having actually have been somewhere that could document his time. Yeah. Think of because... think of how many times during the day when you're somewhere by yourself and there would be no way to prove whether you were there or not. Oh, yeah. Think of how many times you're like, oh, I'm going to, I don't know, drive to whatever. Or, I don't know, you're going to go to Target to go shopping for a couple hours. You don't want to buy anything. Oh, well, that's just two hours that... 
no one knows where you were or whatever. Yep. So that is the case of what was originally thought to be the murder of and wound up really being the suicide of Joe Glenowitz. What an interesting... Because normally I feel like it's the opposite, where a case will look like a suicide and they will find out it's a murder. I feel like the mm-hmm. like the murder to suicide is definitely less likely to actually happen. Yeah, because I feel like, though, a lot of parts of it, for most people, oh, you know, you see someone, they've been killed with a gunshot wound, there's a gun in their hand, they probably killed themselves. But a police officer, if he's chasing suspects, you know, yeah, he's going to have his gun out and stuff. Like, that's not going to be a thought of, huh. And then if you're going into this being like, oh, this officer is pursuing these people and gets shot, your immediate thought is that the suspects, you know, whoever he was pursuing shot him. Totally. But that is not what happened in this case. Dang. Okay, yeah, that's a twist for sure. Yeah. And his, um, I was reading up, his wife wound up going to jail for, like, conspiracy and embezzling and money laundering and fun stuff like that. Um, I think they were also looking at his son for it, so the the whole family was very involved in what their father was doing. Yeah, they knew exactly what was going on. Wow. Yep. So, that is my case. Tell me about your murder that has a twist in it. So mine is the murders of Tibor Voss and Alice Adams. And the sources I used, I watched a show on Investigation Discovery called Do Not Disturb Hotel Horrors. This was their season one, episode three episode titled Hell at Heathrow. And then I also looked at the Wikipedia article for the 2011 England riots. So Tibor Voss and Attila Ban were both from Hungary, and they had become really good friends when they were working together at the very posh Radisson Blue Edwardian Hotel at the Heathrow Airport. And so Heathrow is an international airport. It's big there right outside of London. And this was one of the really fancy hotels that was there. Like if you were just doing like a quick trip or had to stay a night, this is where Uh. you would go if you're kind of, you know fancy fair let me tell you how much i have spent probably combined 40 hours sitting in heathrow terminal 5 there's only so many times you can go to that one asian place or the like it's not an album pan it's a pret a manger pret a manger so many times you can go there please please don't ever say manger it's manger but it that's okay <laughs> pret a manger it's it's french pret a manger um okay well i'm just saying Bucky throw Terminal 5. <laughs> so Tibor was an aspiring musician and photographer, and he grew up with his mom and sister, and his father had passed away when he was a child. Tibor was also someone who loved to travel, and he really wanted to see the world. And so this was a lot of what uh, landed him in London. Attila was his manager, and Attila was one of those people that was very driven by wanting to succeed. He grew up as a gay man in Hungary, and so he had endured a lot of suffering. His childhood was very difficult, and his stepfather beat him and his mother. And he knew that he was gay by the time he was 17, but he couldn't really express it because his family and society would just completely turn on him. So not long after he graduated with a degree in hotel management, he landed a job at the Radisson Blue Edwardian, and he moved up really quickly in the rankings. He was really good at what he did, and eventually he was the front desk manager. 
In January 2011, he was even named Employee of the Year for all the work that he did in 2010. He was extremely appreciated by his employer, and so they actually provided him with a nice, free flat that was really coveted by a lot of the employees, and it was right behind the hotel. And so he lived in his own apartment from the hotel free of charge because he just was so impressive. And they they had, like, this available room, and they were like, you know who deserves that room? Attila. Damn. Tibor at the time had a really cheap flat that he shared with multiple roommates, and he was having a really hard time adjusting, you know, from his life in Hungary to coming to London. He was missing his family. And like I said, he and Attila had become really good friends. And so Attila, after he got this really nice flat, he told Tibor, hey, I've got all this room. Like, why don't, why don't you just come live with me? Like, I don't need all of this to myself. You're in this really shitty apartment. I trust you. Like, come live with me. Oh my god, Attila's a sweetheart. He definitely cared for Tibor, and everyone could see he just really wanted to take care of him. And he was very fatherly and protective. So, like, not only was he a manager and a friend, but he wanted he wanted good things for Tibor. God, can I find me a boyfriend like that? I mean, don't we all want to? So, yeah, the two of them were inseparable. They hung out together... They would party together all the time. And Tibor even like put up like a little DJ studio in the flat because again, he was into music and he would be the DJ at their parties. Oh, I would kick him out of the apartment. If if my roommate put up a DJ studio <laughs> in my living room, I don't have a roommate, but if I did and they had put up a DJ studio, I would be like, can you stop? I don't even like when I have the TV against one of my bedroom walls and roommates watch TV, which is a totally normal thing to do. Can't get mad at roommates for, like, not having to go to bed as early and having the TV on quiet, but oh my god. This is why we don't don't have roommates. It's exactly why. Anywho. So Attila and Tibor, they're getting along really, really well, and they got along for months But then things started to feel a little bit strained. Attila felt that Tibor was just taking advantage of his kindness and he was giving him nothing in return. Tibor, he at this time is starting to get a little bit more homesick and he was wondering if staying in the hotel business was really what he wanted to do or if that he maybe should go back to school. He loved London, but he also wanted to go back to Hungary and he applied to college in Budapest. Like, he's just trying to figure out what's going to be the best for the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And he ends up getting accepted to college in Budapest. He'd been at the hotel about a year at this time. And over dinner, he tells Attila that he's leaving at the end of the summer. And Attila did not take this very well. And so Tibor was really annoyed. Which, like, you know, he's like, dude. This is what's best for me. And Attila's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because you're doing really well here. Like, do you really want to leave? What Tibor did not realize at this time is that Attila liked him as much more than just a friend. Oh. I, even if Attila liked him more, you know, more than just being a friend. Okay, say you're in love with him. He's going to go, like, do better things. 
like you know get his get an education do all this shit it's like yeah it's sad but if your friend or even person you love is going to go better themselves and you're actually angry at that like fuck look at yourself yeah you should always support people if they are wanting to better themselves exactly like you were saying like if you find yourself wanting to prevent someone from doing something that'd be good for them maybe double check what your thoughts are because that's not quite right and being upset being angry totally understand that's that's your friend that's this person you really like totally get it but taking it any step further where you try to impede them, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then in July 2011, just a few weeks before Tibor was planning to leave, he meets Alice Adams when she started at the front desk at the hotel. So Alice grew up in the UK, and she was also a musician and a very talented singer. And so she and Tibor hit it off really well, like straight off the bat. But Alice had a boyfriend, and this guy was her high school sweetheart. He um, lived somewhere else, and so things were a little bit strained. Like, he was off going to school, and she was still in London. And Alice also really loved to travel. At this time, Tibor is scheduled to only be in London for three more weeks, and they can tell, like, the two of them are really hitting it off, and they're like, hey, let's just get to know each other while we can. And they're like, awesome, sounds like a plan. Alice was also getting along with everyone at work. And during one of these training sessions that they had, there was a photo taken and like, it's all the employees and are getting so excited and the photo's taken. And then Attila realizes this photo's happening and he wasn't in it. And he was furious. He was like, why wouldn't you come get your manager? Like, shouldn't I be in this photo too? Like very, being all weird about it. Uh, no, you shouldn't. This is the newbies, the new hire class doing our thing. Exactly. It's like, uh, maybe just get excited about the fact that your employees are such good friends. Yeah. By August 2011, Tibor and Alice were spending a lot of time together. And Attila suggests that they should have a really big going away party, you know, to end the summer before everyone kind of goes their separate ways. But there were events happening in London at this time that became a concern. And this is when the riots are happening. So back in 2011, the England riots happened, and they're more widely known as the London riots. And it was a series of riots, let me say riots one more fucking time, between the 6th and the 11th of August there in 2011. And this was when thousands of people rioted in cities and towns across England. So there was a ton of looting, arson, and mass deployment of police, and it resulted in the death of five people. So what happened, there were some protests that started in Trottingham, London, following the death of Mark Dugan. He was a local man who was shot by the police, and he died on August 4th. And then there were several violent clashes with the police that ensued after this, along with the destruction of a lot of police vehicles, a double-decker bus, and many homes and businesses. So this was something that was gaining rapid attention of the media. People were afraid to be outside. You just, it was, it was all over the news. Just literally picture one of those like apocalyptic type movies where there are like riots in the streets and looting and fires. And that's what this was. Shit. So while there's looting and murder going on in the streets of London, only two other people can join this party. 
because people can't even really get around town. But inside the safe flat where Tibor and Attila live, so Alice and these two other employees are there, and they're able to have a good time because they're safe, and the chaos that's going on in London is quickly forgotten, and they start having their goodbye party. Attila decides to take the party to the next level, and then he brings out some poppers. And so poppers are like an inhalant drug, and they take... (laughs) I know what poppers are. Okay, well... I'm gay. I didn't know what poppers were, okay? <laughs> it's a VCR cleaner. Um, Or VHS cleaner. Oh. It was saying it was like some nitra something or other that I was like, that's a thing it's, I don't it's know. It's labeled as video cleaner. But also, so hold on. They're at the going away party and he pulls out poppers? Yeah. Why? That, okay. At least... In uh, Western gay culture, I can actually inform you on this one. Bringing out poppers would be like pulling out condoms. Like it's, it, you you do poppers like right before sex. So that would be, I would never have a party. I mean, I don't have poppers, but if I did, I would never have a party and just be like, who wants a popper? Well, you're not Attila. Um, Apparently not. So poppers, as Tyler was just saying, they're an inhalant drug and they take immediate effect, especially when they're paired with alcohol. So they're a muscle relaxer. It lowers your inhibitions and it heightens your sensitivity. And so at this time, the other two employees don't take the poppers and they leave. So it's just Alice, Tibor, and Attila. So weird. The next thing that happens is they start to have a threesome. So, yeah, Attila brought them out for exactly why you thought he did. Okay, that makes more sense. Because it also lasts, like, a couple minutes. I mean, he has a lot of them. So they're just doing them, like, back to back. So they're all three, like, laying in the bed. And Alice then all of a sudden decides to call her boyfriend. Because, oh yeah, by the way, she still has this boyfriend. And she's, like, talking to her boyfriend. Clearly, she's not sober. And she tells him that she still has her clothes on and that she's going to sleep on Attila's couch. And she's very high at this point. Very high, very drunk. And so then she also starts sending her boyfriend texts. And then she even tells him that she's in bed with Attila. The next morning, August 10th, Tibor, Alice, and Attila don't show up for work at the hotel for their 3 p.m. shift. This is the fifth day of these deadly political riots. So their employer immediately calls the police because this was completely out of character for all three of them. They don't they yeah. don't know what's going on. They don't know if they got caught up in, in something. And so police come to the flat and there was no answer. And so they forced the door open. When they opened the door, they saw an absolute bloodbath. Alice was in the living room covered in 22 stab wounds with a pillow covering her face. So what's very obvious is that whoever did this to Alice wanted her completely obliterated. You don't need to stab someone 22 times to kill them. No. There's blood surrounding her as well as the bloody knife. And then there's a bloody pair of male boxer shorts and a t-shirt in a pile next to her body. Bloody drag marks lead police to the bedroom where they find Tibor's body placed in a very deliberate pose. He's laying on his back. His his knees are bent and his hands are like to the side or like on his legs and his legs are open and he's naked. So it's a very deliberate sexual pose. He has two stab wounds, one of them directly to his heart, and there was no real sign of a struggle. 
Alice only had one defensive wound on her hand, which was really unusual because when you think about someone being stabbed 22 times, it's really rare that like a hand or an arm or something's not going to get in the way of of that attack and and be a defensive yeah. wound. And so this is showing that, okay, she must have been asleep or comatose, like something. She wasn't fighting back. Yeah. So there's a theory that Tibor was killed in the living room. His clothes were cut from him and his body was taken into the bathroom, cleaned off because he didn't have any blood on him and then positioned in the bed. And then Alice was left in the living room, like with her clothes all bloody, like in a pool of her own blood. But Attila was nowhere to be found. So police, they're wondering if he's another casualty or is he a possible suspect? Police, like, call the forensics team and the forensic scientists arrive at the scene and they examine every single inch of the flat. Alice had DNA of both men on her body and Tibor had semen on his body. So it was evident that some type of sexual occurrence had taken place between the three of them, but there were no signs of intercourse. The police then discover this stream of calls and texts to Alice's boyfriend, Tad. Alice's last call to Tad was around 3.30 in the morning, and so police are starting to wonder if Tad was jealous and came over to the apartment and killed the three of them. Like, you know, they were reading what these texts were saying, that Alice was clearly in bed with these other guys, and Tad could have gotten really pissed. And so when Alice and Tibor's bodies were sent to the medical examiner, there was still no sign of Attila's body or even in any evidence that he was alive. They had no idea. Police didn't know if the murderer took him, if he escaped and was somehow a casualty of the riots that were going on outside, or if he himself was the murderer. They just, they had no idea. They had no evidence in any, any direction. Shit. But what was really puzzling is that there was no bloody trail that was leading outside of the flat. So they're like, okay, maybe Attila jumped out of the window or maybe he had a pair of shoes like set outside the flat and he he put them on so he couldn't really be traced. There wasn't blood or anything. But they looked and I looked at the CCTV footage of the nearby hotel and that did not show Attila leaving. It, so it's like he literally vanished into thin air. The police interview the two other employees who had been at the party earlier, but they come up empty-handed. Nothing that they can go on. So they continue talking to other employees of the hotel, and they found out that Attila had updated his Facebook page at about 6.30 a.m. that morning. And it was a status update that said, I'd like to wake up from this nightmare. So the police could tell his cell phone was being used, they used it to trace the signal, and it was pinging one of the cell phone towers that was north of the flat. So they were assuming that Attila is, like, venturing around the city, because he's somehow pinging that cell phone tower. Attila's longtime friend and former roommate, Anna, also sees his Facebook post, and she gets really concerned, because this is not like him. She sees it, and she thinks that he's in trouble, and she tries to reach out to him, but she wasn't having any luck. Calls, texts, nothing. Getting nothing in response. And then a few hours later, when she's at work, she gets a call from the police, and the police are at her apartment. They were searching her home when she got there, and they were, you know, they let her know they're trying to find Attila. 
And it took her a while to get from work to her apartment, which I think is why they they commenced the search because of all this riot stuff that's still going on. Took her a lot longer to get there. So they took her down to the station and they interviewed her for four hours. And it wasn't until like after she'd been there for that amount of time that she found out this had nothing to do with the riots. There were two murders. So she told the police that Attila was not violent or jealous or angry, that that was not at all who he was. And so their suspicion that he could have done this was completely wrong. Attila was respected. He had a lot of friends and he was that type of person everyone would say that is the last man in the world anyone would expect to hurt his friends. So again, police are just at like a dead end and the trail went completely cold. They could not find Attila. So the next day, the forensic team went back to the flat to continue their investigation, to continue their work. But when they got there, the bedroom door was shut. And they were pretty positive they had left that door open. And so they were like, what the hell? And they start looking around and clearly the crime scene had been tampered with. Things were moved around. So they go and they they like call the officer over to open the door. And the door is not budging. There's something holding the door shut. And so they finally push open the bedroom door. And when they got inside, they found the bed pushed up against the door with Attila naked and bleeding on the bed. Oh. He had a craft knife, so like an X-Acto knife, sticking out of his arm and a second one sticking out of his buttock. Ow. But he was still alive. So they called an ambulance. His wounds, though, they were not life-threatening, and they really looked like they were self-inflicted. And so Attila, like, they set him up, and he was, you know, semi-conscious and awake, but he was not answering any of their questions. He was just being completely silent, as if he couldn't hear them, he, he wasn't answering, he's just, like, zoned the fuck out. Yeah. So it was around this exact same time that the forensics team, who's still in the room, They're looking around and they notice like a really tiny hole cut in the divan bed. And so it's almost like a box spring. It's like a a fabric covering that goes all the way to the floor. Mm -hmm. And they look further and they kind of like go around to the other side of the bed and they, they see another cut and they pull back the cloth. And that's when they find this open area and there's a water bottle and Attila's cell phone. And so that's when it hits them. Attila never left the flat. Oh my god. He had been hiding inside the bed. (gasps) So when they were like examining Tibor's body, because he was on the bed. Yeah. When they were doing all that, literally Attila's under the bed. Yes. He no well, it's not under, it's inside. Oh my god. Oh fuck no. Yeah. So Attila had used a knife to like cut an opening. And, like, this was the opening that was against the wall, so you did not immediately see it. He climbed in, and this, like you said, it was the same bed that Tibor's body was found on. And so that's where he was the whole time. He even updated his fucking Facebook status while he was under the bed, underneath a dead body. Would he not be scared to, like, sneeze? Guess he didn't have allergies at the Uh, time. (laughs) Oh my god. Like, so the entire investigation, they're photographing everything, examining the bodies. He's literally there. He's literally there. And what makes this even crazier is that he cut small holes on the other side so he could peek out and watch what was going on when the forensic team was investigating the crime scene. So not only was he under the bed and there, but he was watching. 
He was watching this happen. No, 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 no. And he was at the crime scene for two full days. No. It's so crazy. And like, he obviously, you know, made a mockery of the police because they didn't realize he was there. But at the same time, that's, this is such a bizarre kind of fucking thing that I don't think anyone put any blame on the police that they didn't know that he was there. No, no. So Attila was charged with murder, but he kept silent until just a few days before his trial. This is when he finally starts talking about the night. He mentioned that they had the party and that they did drugs. And Attila wanted Tibor for himself, but Tibor only wanted Alice. Attila was clearly obsessed with Tibor and the rejection that he was getting from the person who had become the center of his life created feelings that he had that were beyond jealousy. Attila said he had no idea how they ended up dead. He said he just woke up and the bodies were there. And he never said anything about why he killed them or how. So he is claiming, like, memory loss. That something happened. He has no idea how this happened. He just woke up from his state and, and they were dead. And, like, he knew he had done it, but he that was it. Memory loss. Can I take back my earlier statement of saying I want a boyfriend like him? Because I, d- I don't. I don't anymore. Um, same. And like I said a few episodes ago when we talked about the new Ted Bundy documentary, I'm kind of loving single life because this kind of shit scares yeah. me. Yeah, I'm I'm good being single. I'm cool with that. So it really was absolutely impossible to know who was stabbed first, Tibor or Alice. Attila was not saying anything and he's the only one that would know, but he says he has no memory of it. So maybe he stabbed Tibor like while he was asleep or whatever, because again, there was no sign of a struggle. And then he goes and attacks Alice or vice versa. But after they were both dead, Attila took Tibor to the bathroom, cleans off all of his wounds before positioning him on the bed. And then Attila, as he's hiding underneath the bed, the investigation's happening. He's just racked with guilt. And so he attempts suicide. And apparently he tried multiple different ways like he slashed his wrist and like just all of these these things but nothing panned out and so the way the investigators looked at it and like the psychologist afterward was that he clearly didn't mean to actually commit suicide as in the fact that he tried so many different ways in such a short amount of time was showing he wasn't completely serious about any of them that makes sense yeah well and if he when they found him, he had, like, an exacto knife in, like, one of his butt cheeks and then another one, like, in his arm. That's not, it, like, if you were trying to die, I don't feel like either place would be where you would stab. Well, I mean, he had, like, slit his wrist, too, but not deep enough to actually die from. So on July 9th, 2012, nearly a year later... Attila was charged with two counts of murder, and during the trial, he asked the jury for forgiveness, saying that Tibor was his whole reason for living, Um, but the jury did not accept his bouts of memory loss. They were like, no, sorry, dude, you do remember some things, like he made that post on Facebook that showed, you know, he, like, some type of guilt, and he remembered to grab a water bottle to take with him while he was hiding inside the bed. And so the jury was like, no, 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 that's really inconsistent with someone not remembering the crime itself. Like, you had too much prep 
that you did afterwards. So not going to believe yeah. that you have bouts of memory loss because how convenient would that be if you, the, the memory loss you have are the events that everyone wants to know, but everything else you remember. Well, and it would be one thing if he hadn't hid or if he had woken up and been the one to call police or something, you know, then sure, you can argue that he he didn't know what happened or whatever. Right. But yeah, the preparation that he went into and no, uh-uh, not impressed. So Attila was convicted of the murders and sentenced to 26 years to life in prison, which is where he is now. Shit. And one thing that I could not say earlier, because it would have uh, definitely given too much away, but I also saw this uh, case on an episode of Vengeance Killer Coworkers, which is on HLN. It's a show that recently premiered, like, in January, and it's all these different stories about, like, coworkers killing coworkers, and um, it's Ooh. fucking interesting, but I was, like, it was when I was watching one of my Forensic Files marathons when I was in a hotel, and then an episode of Killer Coworkers came on, and I'm like, alright, I mean, it's not like there's anything else on, and I watched it, and it was this case, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? He hid in the bed? Uh, HLN. And they're our favorites. They're our number ones. Absolutely. I mean, if you guys didn't know, but a couple of weeks ago, we were in New York City for the premiere of Forensic Files 2. And Forensic Files 2! Y'all, Forensic Files is one of those shows that we've all watched, we've all fallen in love with. Um, If you haven't yet, check it out. It's on Netflix. And also, Forensic Files 2 is happening right now. There are 16 brand new episodes, two premiering every Sunday. So be sure to watch it. It's on HLN. You can find it on like the CNN app, I believe, CNN Go. And y'all, who doesn't love Forensic yeah. Files coming back? Yeah, we'll have a um, we'll have a breakdown for y'all. I don't know. If y'all go to our Instagram and stuff, you can see photos and videos and all things. It was amazing. Definitely loving uh, traveling for all podcast things. So yeah, it was like this quick trip to New York that was worth every minute. Absolutely. I mean, it's fucking New York. Who doesn't love going there? Truth. But this is where I I was like, what was I saying with that? I know we did uh, Killer Coworkers a few 20 episodes ago, but... Ooh, I'm gonna need to watch that, and uh, maybe maybe we do another episode here soon. That's I don't know, killer coworkers again. I think we totally should because there are some fucked up cases. Oh uh, yeah. So that is the case of the murder of Tibor Voss and Alice Adams and Attila. Not so nice as he originally seemed. No, no, he um. Uh, wow. Okay. Talk about a twist, right? That was a twist. <laughs> that was definitely a twist. Um, um, and with that, I what are your thoughts on jumping straight ahead into postmortem? Let's dive on in. So I'll um, I'll take the reins on this since you just uh, said your case. I'll give I'll give your vocal cords a rest. Uh, go ahead and take the um, reins, but I'm pretty sure we both know what's happening. I think we both. Sorry, do. was that too cocky? <laughs> it was, and um, I'll let it slide this time because you're right. Uh, no, I think your case definitely was the more intense one. The twist in yours, the turns in it. I legitimately, about halfway through your case, when you introduced Alice, I was like, oh, right, she is one of the victims from earlier. Like, yeah. I was just so caught up with Tibor and Attila. It's like, okay, and then the two of them were murdered. Or something like that. Oh, yeah. 
And then when it was the two of them, I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then I was starting to think like, yeah, no, he he killed them both. But then when they weren't able to find him, and then you're pressed on the riots, I'm like, holy shit, are we going to find out he was like kidnapped and that's the twist or like some bullshit? And then no, he was hiding in the bed. The investigators and like detectives on this case were like, literally still the most fucking bizarre case i've ever worked on because yeah i feel like that would take a lot to top and the murderer was in the bed while we were there and we had no idea i am i mean first off god damn lucky to have a kind of bed that you can hide in i'm literally looking at my bed and i'm like i mean i could be under it i guess yeah, and you would hope. Maybe. If I move my storage to the side. I was say. I could hang out with the cats. <laughs> I can't fit under my bed. That's that's my fucking storage. I have one of those. I mean, I can't fit <laughs> under there, but I could, like, suck in and pretend I could. I have one of those, like, extra tall bed frames, so it's, like, purposely for storage. But even then, like, it's literally the only storage I have in this place, so. And my case I think definitely was intense. Uh, it was. Um, had a very big twist. I mean, the the whole plot of it was a twist. Well, and the fact that it's literally, like I was saying, the, the opposite, where a lot of the times it's suicide or looks like a suicide, but it's a murder. Yours looked like a fucking murder, but it was a suicide. And that is a flip mm-hmm. and a twist that is extremely uncommon. And then also... The fact that this police officer that was being celebrated for being such an honorable person was a scumbag. Oh, absolutely. I think we both brought intense cases, but I think I think I speak for all of us, listeners included, when I say you, you brought the big guns today, and I will be uh, picking the topic again for next week's episode. Yes, you will. And I will bring the big guns again because I'm all about that. That's what I do. Yeah, when I think Brittany, I think guns, because that's definitely something <laughs> that either of us enjoy or are a fan of. I know, I don't bring the big guns, I bring like the big like um knowledge yes the big book i bring the big book um you want to know one thing that has made me really happy this month or like since the beginning of the year i'm reading a lot again like i have literally already read like 12 books this year that's ridiculous but it is it's not it's fantastic it's no that's that's it's awesome (laughs) it's ridiculous in a i'm jealous and also how kind of way well i honestly stopped watching a shit ton of tv when i come home from work i come home i do the things that i have to do during the evening to prepare for the next day i make dinner and then instead of sitting on the couch and turning on the tv i grab a book and it's the same type of entertainment and like excitement but it's just through reading and honestly i'm just gonna say my imagination so much better than all the tv shows and i think everyone can say that because your imagination when you're reading a book can put so many different things together and you can make something like obviously as you guys know i love stephen king i've been reading a lot of his books and a lot of his books don't do not translate well to screen but they translate really well in your head and so it's like i don't need to see hollywood put this together because i've already put it together in my mind and it's fucking great no that's fair and honestly the only book to movie adaptation i can think of that really captured that magic and that wow factor is, and I did say magic, 
is the first Harry Potter and, like, the set design and stuff. Yeah. I still think the, um, League Castle and shit I had in my mind is awesome, but that is one that I'm like, okay, y'all went there. But no, it's so true. For so many other things, if I read the book first, especially if it's any kind of, like, pull yourself out of reality for a second, like a horror or a fantasy or a science Mm -hmm. fiction or something. Seeing it on screen is amazing and awesome and you get to relive all those things again. But there's such a huge part of you that's like, "Mm, that's what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's awesome. The thing that has filled me with joy the past, honestly, past couple months since I found it Y'all know I'm not a huge TV person, but I am telling you, and I don't know if I've said it before, but I will say it again. If you have not watched The Good Place, end the podcast right now. I know there's three minutes left. End it right now and go start The Good Place. You know what? Finish it now. You can finish it out. Finish our podcast. The Good Place. And then go watch The Good Place. So good. Oh my God. It is so enjoyable. Oh my God. It's amazing. The season finale was a little bit ago. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers. There are no spoilers here. But if you want to watch an engaging and smart, funny show that just is so fucking good, y'all, The Good Place. It is one of the best TV shows I have seen in the last five, ten years. It's so good. Y'all have to watch it. That's that's all I'm going to say. It's on Netflix. I think the last season's on Hulu right now. So go, go fly, my monkeys. Well, and Kristen Bell is just so amazing in everything that she does. And, like, they recently yeah. had, like, the bringing back of Veronica Mars, which I know a lot of people love Veronica Mars. And I'm still, like, backtracking because I never watched that growing up. But she is just phenomenal. I fell in love with The Good Place a few years ago. I'm still finishing the last season. And it's like I'm taking it slow because I'm sad to see it go. That's fair. So. It's one, though, that I... I finished the uh, series finale and immediately went on Netflix like the next day or two days later and started rewatching. And I don't do That's that not with TV you. shows. Uh, but it's so fucking good, y'all. So if you haven't watched The Good Place, you have to watch it. That's my um, my happy, happy moment of the week, um, of the year, probably, yeah. decade, maybe. But um. Thank y'all so much for tuning in, for listening to this. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars. Let us know what you love. We love hearing from y'all, reading what you write, and yeah. You know, I will say, if you say that's one of your favorite things of the decade, that's a fucking bold statement considering it's the first year of the decade. So... Kudos to you. You already know what's up. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to stand by it. Stand by it. I'll ask you in 10 years if it's still the truth. Uh, Okay. (laughs) But also be sure to like and follow us. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can hop on over, have a conversation with us, check out all of the wines that we have, have an easy place to look to see what the topic of all of our episodes are. Just be sure you're following us on social media. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.